Good morning, everyone. I'm Patty Blakely, and I lived here in Zionsville for 34 years. I've been married to my husband, Jim, for 44 years, and this year he retired. But it's anything but retirement. He's very busy, and I'm, for those of you who think, oh, no, what's going to happen, I'm loving having my husband home. <laughs> he even when, once in a while, he'll say, is there anything I can do for you today? So look forward to it instead of dreading it. But I have three children and their spouses who all live in Zionsville, and I have nine grandchildren, <clears throat> seven boys and two girls, and they range in ages 13 to 1. Does anyone here have a one-year-old or in the ones? Maybe that's why there's not many here. <laughs> I had the nine and six and one-year-old last week, and I know what it's like to bring young children, so I'm glad you're all here. I saw a few of you with the ones. Um, last week, Drew talked about the many different layers we have as we study God's Word, and I've been studying it for 33 years, but... Uh, when I first went to my first Bible study, there was a form that you filled out. <clears throat> I was in Bible study fellowship, and it, you said your age, and then they wanted to put Bible knowledge, and you had three checks, little, average, or knowledgeable. Well, I didn't want to say little, so I put average. Oh, my, I was so wrong. <laughs> but if I had to do it again today, you know what I'd put? Between little and average, because God's revealing me more to his word every day. And I have a friend over at Zionsville Meadows who's 92. She's been studying 30 years longer than I have. And that's my inspiration. So don't, if you're brand new to Bible study, be encouraged. Each layer, as God rips off and pulls up and teaches you, will grow you stronger to him. It doesn't matter where you are. That that's where we are. And that's why we're here, to study God's word, his powerful word that does not change, even though we change and our ages change. And so we'll see what layers he has for us today. So would you join me in prayer? Father, all authority is yours. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we quiet our hearts and come before you. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be pleasing to you and from all of those women here. May our hearts be stayed on you as we listen and absorb your powerful word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I was preparing to teach over the last few weeks, I kept finding the word authority when I was looking at all the references I was looked at. And so I thought, why is that still coming up? So I looked it up in the dictionary, and some of the words that came out were the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience, to rule, have sovereignty, supremacy. Then I realized why. We're talking about the kingdom of God. That's what... Jesus was talking to them about what they wanted to know is the kingdom coming and from last week's lesson if you'll remember the definition the quote was the kingdom of God means not an earthly political or military kingdom but the present spiritually directed reign of God gradually transforming individual lives and entire cultures through the power of the Holy Spirit as we study the book of Acts this year I hope you become so aware how the sovereignty of God directs each portion of the narrative as Jesus establishes his church and his kingdom here on earth, because that's what the book of Acts is about. Well, you had two passages to look at <clears throat> today, the Acts, the Luke passage, and the Acts uh, 1, 1, 6 through 26. But the, the Luke one is really what they call the bridge, because it bridges it into the Acts passage. So... I'm going to have you turn there, the end of Luke, 
We're going to look at Luke 24, and I'm just going to read through it. Twenty-four, forty-four to 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So be watching as these scriptures are fulfilled in our Acts study as we start it. Um, If you would turn now to Acts. Our scripture starts that we studied this week in verse 6. But anytime you see a scripture starts with so, you kind of need to look back to see, so what? So why is it there? So let's start with verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood there in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go. These are the last words of Jesus before he ascends to heaven. The disciples have been told to wait, until they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. While they were with them, they asked if the kingdom would be restored. Jesus answers this question very pointedly with, it's not for you to know. The Father has fixed the time for this. But what they are to know is that they are going to receive power. Well, the most powerful verse, as scholars say, from the book of Acts is Acts 1.8, and we memorized it, didn't we? Some of you. So if you would repeat it with me, we'll say it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Great. Well, we're supposed to be witnesses, but witnesses to what? It doesn't say it here, but it sure did when we read the Luke passage. The gospel. The gospel's presented. And explained by Luke, Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' Jesus' name. A few years ago, I I bought the Moody Bible Commentary. It was a brand new, it was just out. And I really enjoyed reading it and studying it from it because it's succinct and I really like what it said about this scripture. Jesus enlarged the vision of his followers by removing all geographical boundaries for ministry. 
Instead of waiting for the nations to come to Jerusalem, Jesus commissioned his followers to go to the nations. Like the ripples that widen from the place where a stone is tossed into a pond, the gospel will radiate from its origination in Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and ultimately to the end of the earth. In the context of the book of Acts, the end of the earth may be a reference to Rome, though should not be restricted to it. A ripple in a pool, or as you see on our cover, I think it's up here, where an explosion of joy from Jerusalem to Rome when the gospel was spoken. Light and joy because of the Holy Spirit. Well, this wasn't a new promise. Even when Jesus was alive on earth with his disciples, he um, said this to them, and you don't have to turn it, but I'm going to read it to you. It's from John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he lives with you and he will be with you. All three persons of the Trinity are represented in this verse that Jesus gave. But now it's about to be fulfilled. He doesn't say when it will happen, only that they will receive the power that they need to witness to a dying and broken and hurting world. As they stood up, looking up and watching Jesus ascend, two angels appeared, and in one sentence they stated two main truths of Christianity, didn't they? Jesus will ascend to heaven, and he's going to return. Note that the two angels in white were also mentioned in Luke's gospel. Do you remember where that was? It was when the women were at the tomb. Remember, the two women had prepared the spices and came, and two angels appeared. And they asked an, the angels asked a question of them, just like they did in this passage. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. So messengers of God, they announced his resurrection, and now they're announcing his ascension and his second coming. This is a powerful 20 verses, isn't it? So what does it mean now for the kingdom of God and for us today that Jesus is ascended into heaven? I want you to look at some scriptures with me. If you would turn, it's probably two-thirds of the way back in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews. We're going to go off there for just a few minutes. The book of Hebrews talks about how in the Old Testament, only the priests could offer sacrifices for sin in the temple and have access to God. But now Jesus, because of his sacrifice once and all for sin, is our great high priest. And unlike the priests of the Old Testament who saw death, Jesus is reigning right now in heaven. So if you'd look at Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, we're going to go to three different passages. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that may, we may receive mercy and grace to find help in our time of need. And then go to three more chapters later, Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death to continue the office. 
But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And then if Hebrews, three more chapters later, Hebrews 10, 12 to 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should made a footstool for his feet. For by his single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And we're not going to turn to 1 John, but 1 John, the Apostle John says in verse 1 to 2, of chapter 2, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and is currently, among many other things, sympathizing with us in our weaknesses, saving those who draw near to God, and interceding to the Father on our behalf a living, loving advocate for those who believe. What comfort to us who know the truth as we go through trials, suffering, and temptations. Well, I have a dear friend who's been going through suffering at this time. She has lung cancer. It's in remission. It's in remission now for brain cancer, and they also have uh, found cancer on her hip. She asked me last week if I'd take her to her radiation and x-ray appointment. And I had the privilege of being with her for four hours. But what I w was struck by is she was pushed around the hospital in her wheelchair. A few of the nurses would say to me, we love Patty. She's so joyful and loving all the time. So when we got in the car, I asked Patty what to, it meant to her personally that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And here's what she wrote me. She thought about it for a few days, and here's what she wrote. Facing terminal cancer for two and a half years may seem insufferable to some, but knowing Christ as my Savior has made it quite bearable for me. I know that he has full knowledge of everything I have felt, and he's felt it too. Knowing that he is the author and sustainer of life and knows when the perfect time is for my life on this earth to end and to be made perfect with him in eternity is a comfort and joy. He is the great high priest who has finished his work not like the priests who served in the temple with daily sacrifices. Their labor was futile. No sin was atoned for. I sure could not do that on my own. But now I can rest assured that the debt is paid and be confident. Knowing that he comforts me, is with me, has given me the Holy Spirit to intercede for me as well when I don't know what I need or want, is peace beyond understanding. I don't like to use the word suffering because I so know so many more who are truly suffering. However, I do look at my experience as very tedious and sometimes getting worse. But I am not hopeless. I am hopeful because Christ is who he is and I know who he is. A great high priest sympathizing with her today, 2,000 years after the ascension, giving her grace to help in a time of need. What a witness that is to me of the ascension. And where Christ is. Well, the angels not only said the ascension, but they also said that Jesus would return one day. And a comment I read in the ESV study Bible said, 
The visible ascension of Jesus into heaven indicates that Jesus retains a physical human body as a man, though he is exalted to the right hand of God, given direct executive rule in God's spiritual kingdom. When coupled with Acts 1.11, it also indicates that he will someday return in the same physical body. The amazing miracle of the incarnation is not only that the eternal Son of God took human nature on himself and became a person who is simultaneously God and man, but also that he will remain both fully God and fully man forever. He's our high priest forever. Someday, only known by God as evidenced in Jesus' answer in verse 7, when he says, at a time fixed by God's authority, Christ will return and establish his kingdom on earth. But for now, he's reigning from above. And his, Peter, and his uh, commentary on Acts, David Peterson says, the words after he said this in verse 9, closely link the mission agenda of Jesus with his ascension and the angelic words that follow. Luke's point is that missionary activity of the early church rested not only on Jesus' mandate, but also on his living presence in heaven and the sure promise of his return. The cloud which hid him from their sight indicated to them his total envelopment in God's presence and glory. Perhaps they recalled the cloud as a visible token of God's glory associated with the tabernacle in the wilderness. Remember, the Israelites had the pillar of cloud to lead them by day and a pillar of cloud by night. Certainly, they must have remembered the cloud covering Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when three of their number, Peter, James, and John, were given a revelation of the glory that was to be after his suffering. And God said, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. The authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, if you look on your outline, the second division is the authority of the witness in Acts 1, 12 to 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I find it interesting, I hope you did too, to consider who those people were waiting up there. Waiting obediently for the Lord's instructions in the upper room. It might even be the same upper room where Jesus shared his last supper with his disciples. We don't know that. But this time Jesus was gone from them and they weren't quite sure what this promise would look like. Luke mentions each disciple by name, doesn't he? He did the same thing in Luke 6, 12 to 16, and I found it interesting to look back there to see he actually said that Judas became a traitor when he, and that was in the beginning of, of Acts, I mean Luke. And the Acts list, Judas Iscariot is left off. Jesus had personally called each man by name. Mark 3.14 states that he appointed them that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. These same disciples he recommissioned as we saw at the end of Luke and how 1.8 tells us today to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the work. In the glossary, I, I don't know how many of you looked up apostle and disciple in the glossary, but this struck me. The authority committed to the apostles by Christ was unique. It could not be transmitted to others. 
the apostles could install elders or other leaders and teachers in the churches, but apostolic authority could not be transferred. Their authority has not come to us through their successors. It has come through their writings, which are contained in the New Testament. For instance, the gospel written by Matthew. Peter wrote First and Second Peter and also spoke, spoke through many of his speeches that you're going to be reading in the next few weeks. John, the gospel according to John, and First, Second, Third John, and Revelation. And Paul, who's not listed as an apostle at this time, but that will happen later on in Acts, becomes an apostle in over half the New Testament was penned by him. But did you notice who else was there? What about the women? <laughs> You'll get to discuss this in your group. But to have Jesus' mother there and the other women who faithfully stayed with Jesus throughout his public ministry, most of them were likely eyewitnesses to the crucifixion and resurrection. Real women, Mary Magdalene, Susanna, Joanna, Ordinary women like you and me. And I even noticed where it said they also supported Jesus with their own means. So I don't know if they weren't married, didn't have husbands, or if their husbands weren't believers, but they supported the ministry by their own means. But what also surprised me was that Jesus' brothers were there. As we read through the Gospels, Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. They didn't believe what he said, and they were said, even a prophet's not noted in his own hometown. But his brothers were there. They were all present. We'll even learn later on in Acts that Jesus' brother James became the leader of the Jerusalem church and wrote the book of James. They saw and believed these women, these brothers, and they were there in the upper room in support. All of these followers of Christ didn't know what would happen, but in faith and in one accord, they prayed. The Greek word for one accord comes from two words, Homo, meaning the same, and thymodon, which means one mind, one passion. When every person in a group has the same passion, and in this time it was their passion of loving Jesus, they were in one accord. We aren't told what they prayed, were we? But I tried to think of what I might have said. Father, please send Jesus back. <laughs> He's gone. Or, Father, we're in Jerusalem. It's not a safe place for Christians right now. Please protect us. Maybe they said, fulfill your word and send your spirit to us. We don't, aren't feeling very powerful right now. We don't know what they prayed, but we know they prayed for about 10 days and we're in one accord. So here's the disciples given the authority commissioned by God. And let's look at the third division, the authority of God's word, Acts 1, 15 to 20. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, and the company of persons was, persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his bowels rushed, gushed out. Not a, a very pleasant sight. <laughs> and became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his place. Peter stood up, didn't he? The once timid, Christ-denying Peter 
becomes the spokesman as he stands among the brothers. We can only imagine what occurred on those 40 days when the resurrected Jesus spoke to the disciples and told them in Luke 24, 44, that everything written about him in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Peter now states that scripture had to be fulfilled and Judas must be replaced. How heart-wrenching that must have been to those disciples to have Judas, whom they loved and lived life with for three years, be the one who guided Jesus' enemies to arrest him. And that had only been a few months before that this happened. I want you to look that there's parentheses around verses 18 and 19. It's as if Peter says, by the way, this is what Judas's demise looked like. The disciples knew the word of God. Specifically, what was quoted here were from Psalm 69:25 and 109:8, the very words the Holy Spirit spoke through David. These words confirmed to them that Judas's death was fulfillment of prophecy and that a successor was needed to complete their apostleship. Well, how did they go about choosing Judas as a successor? Follow along with me as we read this. This is in his authority in choosing the 12th apostle, verses 21 to 26, which takes us to the end of this chapter. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these myths must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lot for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. The twelve were complete again. In the rest of the narrative of Acts of the twelve, we're only going to see Peter, James, and John be mentioned. Well, what was the purpose of choosing a successor for Judas? Look at verse 22. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. We learned last week that Luke was giving an accurate, thorough, orderly witness, eyewitness account of what Jesus did. Eyewitness. I want you to look back on what we've just studied between, six, between verse 6 and 26. Look at verse 9. As they were looking on, eyewitness, out of their sight, verse 9. Verse 10, while they were gazing. Verse 11, why do you stand looking into heaven the same way as you saw him go? And now in verse 22, this person had to be a witness. They had to see with their own eyes the resurrection and what happened during Jesus' life. In Acts chapter 4, in a few weeks, Peter and John came before the council of priests and elders in Jerusalem for healing a crippled beggar. Because of seeing this man healed, many people heard the gospel and about 5,000 believed. Because the Jewish leaders were annoyed that they were teaching about the resurrection, they were told to stop speaking in Jesus' name. They answered by saying, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Thus, the last page, as you do your lesson each week, is based on 419. They couldn't help but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
As you read this verse, you quote the quote you found, find each week on this, record what God has given into your spiritual eyes to see so that you can share your faith with others as well. Eyewitnesses. Well, back then, they didn't have a virtual world at that time as we did, or we probably would have seen the, the crippled beggar healed. But how many of you are aware of this picture that flooded the news in February? On February 15th, a five-minute video was published showing the beheading by ISIS of 21 Coptic Christians on a beach along the southern Mediterranean coast. A caption in the video called the captives, the people of the cross, followers of the hostile Egyptian church. After the beheadings, their church released their names, but there were only 20 names. It was later learned that the 21st martyr was named Matthew Ayarga and that he was from Chad. He was originally a non-Christian, but he saw the intense faith of the others, and when the terrorists asked him if he rejected Jesus, he reportedly said, their God is my God, knowing he would be killed. A face so real that the last words on their lips were, Jesus Christ, rather than to announce him and be set free. A gruesome picture, but not when you're looking at an eternal kingdom. How important is our witness? Who told these Coptic Christians about the gospel of Christ? The life-giving truth that the Son of God who lived a perfect life, crucified for our sins, rose and is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for their, seats, their sins. Clearly, mission is at the heart of God's purposes because its fruit brings honor to his Son. And his Son must be honored. The kingdom of this earth is to be the kingdom of the Son. Excuse me. It is this truth that Christ should receive the honor due to his name from all the nations that is the highest motivation for evangelism. It will come about through the preaching of the gospel by his appointed witnesses. His proclamation must continue until he returns as glorified king. It must continue despite the certainty of suffering for those who proclaim the gospel. And that was from David Cook. And the church in Egypt the, is flourishing and growing. When did someone tell you this life-giving message? Or where did you see this witness shown in someone's life that you said, there's something different about her or him? Not only did the disciples choose an eyewitness as successor for Judas, notice how they prayed. You, Lord, know the hearts of men. Show which one you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship. Lord meaning Jesus in this case. That's how they addressed him in verse 6. They were acknowledging that Jesus was very much alive and ascended to the Father. But something else can be noted in this prayer. Jesus knows the hearts of all men. The Israelites were familiar with this attribute of God. And thus a further acknowledgement by the disciples that Jesus is the Messiah. Scriptures from the Old Testament, such as 1 Samuel 16, 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Kings 8, 39. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. Psalm 44, 21. For he knows the secrets, even the secrets of the heart. Later on, when we get into Acts 15, 8 to 9, when the Gentiles were included in the faith, Peter stated that God, who knows the heart, 
bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So he not only knows their hearts, but he cleansed their hearts by faith in him. And the last book of the Bible, Revelation, is what John wrote, and it was a revelation that he was given by, the Jesus, by Jesus himself. Revelation 2.23. John's vision on the Lake Isle of Patmos. All the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And so Matthias is chosen. So, and my so being because of everything that we've t looked at in the scriptures today, the stage is set. The disciples have been commissioned by Jesus they have watched him ascend to heaven. They have respected and obeyed his instruction. They have consulted the authority of scripture and of their Lord to make their number complete. They have prayed in one accord throughout this time. The eyewitnesses of Christ's life wait for the promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And with us, we wait for next week, don't we? To see this explosion of joy as the Holy Spirit descends to dwell within the believers and see them become men who powerfully, without hindrance, turn this world upside down. Let's pray. Yes, Father, you promised that you would send the Holy Spirit. And we are 2,000 years past Pentecost now. And so your Spirit is dwelling within those who believe. Won't you ignite our spirit? to want to witness to you in a powerful way to a dying world. Let us have an explosion of joy in our own hearts to people that we see, whether it's where we're worshiping or in the grocery or wherever we are, that someone would see something different because you are the one we follow. And Father, as we go to our groups now, please let your Holy Spirit direct our conversations and we mutually encourage one another in you. In Jesus' name, the name above all names, we pray. Amen.